You know, when you think of Christmas, we often are, uh, well, we get excited about Christmas, and if we were to be honest with each other, uh, a lot of times it's the things that we get that are new. We, we love new things. I mean, we, we like new things because they're not old and broken and worn out and, and uh, stained and ruined. We, we like new things. I remember when I was um, graduated from college and got my first job, first paycheck, you got to burn a hole in your pants, you got to buy something. And I went and bought a car, and it was a new car. And uh, I, I still remember how it smelled. It was unbelievable. There were no scratches, no dinks, no dents, nothing in it. It was a, it was a beautiful black Volkswagen Jetta GLI. It's like my first love, really. <laughs> but it was new, and I, and I never had anything new like that before. It was an incredibly neat thing. What Christmas is about is making all things new. That's what we've been reading and listening. In, in respect, it starts out in the beginning, right? In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He made all things new. All things were new. I mean, can you imagine creation being in perfect harmony with itself? He creates creation, and then he creates men, a man and a woman, the pinnacle of his creation, and he creates them perfectly. They have perfect harmony with each other and with God. They're created to enjoy him. They're created to fellowship with him. They're created to use their gifts for the extending of this new and perfect creation. And then, of course, we hear quickly following that this creation, I mean, the luster of its newness has, has hardly faded, and it's marred, it's ruined. I mean, the man and the woman, they turn against God, they see his benevolent leadership, and, and they recalibrate it and say that it's, it's oppressive and it's restrictive, and so they turn away from God. It's kind of a decreation, if you will. I mean, it's like ripping the branch off the tree. They rip themselves away from God and introduce death and destruction and hardship. I mean, folks, we here in this room... Each one of us has plenty of empirical data for the brokenness of our lives. We've seen the decreative ability of our own sins. We've seen that you don't have to be 15 years old to know that things aren't lining up like you want them to be. The anger, the, the hurt, the broken relationships, the shame that we feel, the embarrassment that we have, the failures that we're already measuring and meeting up, that we just don't do what we know we ought to do. It is decreation in its ugliest. And I think we know that. So you have God making all things new, and then, and then rebellion and, and separation from God bringing about all things being lost. But then as Levy read that last passage in Revelation 21, it's a beautiful passage, isn't it? In verse 5, he says, I will make all things new. God is speaking. And it says specifically, from the throne. Now listen, God's been silent in Revelation. He only speaks two or three times in a direct address. But he does there in verse 5. I will make all things new, he says. This is incredible. He is renewing all things. Well, what's he going to make new? Well, the verses right before it tell us. He's going to make creation new. He's going to recreate creation, if you will. It's going to be a cosmic revolution where God is promising us that this world, with all of its revolutions of pain and tornadoes and earthquakes, and all, all of it will be made new. Can you imagine 
what it will be like. One of the songs they used to love from the Beatles, John Lennon, was Imagine. I never even paid attention to the words. In the song he says, imagine that there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. Don't try. Don't try. I mean, you want to imagine. I mean, this is, this is like a, a laser beam for us to consider the greatness of God as he recreates creation. But not just creation, but also us. As Levy read that passage in, in Revelation 21, the promise is that it says that a new city will come down from God. And then he explains that new city is a bride. And then later on in the chapter, he says the bride is us, the redeemed, the people of God, the Christian. And he says that now God will dwell with us again. And he will be our God and we will be his people. This is the promise that we have. That God is going to make us new. No more sin, no more shame, no more guilt. Even when you have a good week and then you have a bad week, none of that anymore. You're going to be purified, clean. You'll be with God forever. Perfect communion. Can you imagine? I mean, I mean to, to experience a loving relationship with someone without the stain of selfishness, sin, brokenness, anger, bitterness, resentment. That's what we have. And so we see this. All things were made new. All things were lost. And yet God promises to make all things new again. But how? Well, that's where Christmas comes in. This is the promise. What Christmas is, it's about God fulfilling a promise he made long, long time ago. And God brings a promise that this Messiah, this Jesus, this deliverer, a rescuer, a renewer will come and make all things new. And we heard Isaiah speak about it. Gabriel spoke to Mary. The shepherds were informed. The wise men were identified and alerted. They went to worship him. This Jesus comes in the flesh, fully man, fully God, and by his life and his death and his resurrection, he has begun this renewal of all things. And you, you already see it. You do. In the Gospels, you get a foretaste of it, right? When Jesus begins to roll back the effects of sin, he gives sight to the blind, he gives... Hearing to the deaf, he gives speech to the mute. He gives life to the dead. What's he doing? He's rolling back all the decreation that came upon from sin. He's just giving us a foretaste. It's just smelling the apple pie. You're not eating it, but you know it's coming. But, but it's rolling it back. But not just, not just creation. He changes us. I mean, think about it for a minute. He began to invite men and women through repentance and faith to enter the kingdom. Men and women were leaving their sin. They were turning to God by faith. And they were entering this kingdom. Just like many of you have. I have seen, you have seen, this, this power of Christ and the gospel to recreate us, to make us new. I know it's not instantaneous. There is no one here that comes to faith in Christ and is changed instantly. The Bible doesn't tell, it, tell us that it works that way. It, it's not instantaneous. It's incremental. You see it in scriptures like, that, that we are being renewed day by day, he says in Corinthians. Or that, or that we're being changed from glory to glory. What he's doing now is beginning to change us. He's changed me. I know, I've seen him change so many of you. Incrementally, a little bit. But it's certain, and it's consistent, and it's sure. This is why we're thankful for Christmas. I mean, if you're a Christian, Christmas is a wonderful time to get together with family. But it's a time to marvel. I mean, it's a time to consider how God, and you, you, 
you know, you saw the story of the world. We read all those passages. I mean, how God could be so gracious to appoint a Savior to prepare a body for him, that Christ would come and dwell among us and live a life that God would find totally acceptable. And then to bear our sin and our shame and our guilt and suffer the wrath of God, that God might be both just and the justifier of those with faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we've been saved. That's how we're being renewed. Would you marvel with me over that? I I mean, in all the glitz and the glitter of this holiday, can we not just take a minute and begin to ponder what it would mean to bring forth a son for us? And, And if you're not a Christian, perhaps you've been far away from the faith for a while, Perhaps you even considered these things, but you know, you know there's a longing for transcendent truth, to be reconciled to God. You're tired of carrying around the guilt and the shame and the weight of your sin. We, it's interesting, in the last verse in that passage in Revelation, he says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, and I'll be his God, and they will be my children. It's kind of an invitation, if you will. It's kind of to those who are hungry or thirsty, to those who are longing for the satisfaction of being rightly related to God, to to those who understand God can't just overlook sin, there needs to be a sacrifice. To those who are longing for this, do you hear the invitation of God? It says, to the thirsty I will give from the water of life, new life, to be born again. And this is why entrance into the faith for the Christian is always repentance and faith. We confess our sins and we rest the safety of our soul in the one upon whom God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It gives us assurance of acceptance with God. So I pray that this holiday would be rich for you, enjoyable for you, but I pray that that conversations would find their way to this one that they had waited for And now we wait for again. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the grace that you have given to us in Jesus, that that you have made all things new. We lost the newness of all that you've made, and yet you have come to make all things new again, and you've come to do it through Jesus. Father, would you display your glory to us? Would you cause our eyes to be opened to his beauty and his power and his magnificence. Father, may you lead us to worship, as the shepherds did so many years ago, that we would worship him. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.